You're listening to the Greater Long Beach Podcast, where our focus is helping people to connect to God, change, and thrive in life. The ideal is lacking. Grace abounds. We are continuing our service here um, talking about this series called Brand New. And last week we started the conversation about God's original intent for the church, for His people. And uh, we stated, I stated that there are things about the church that people resist, that the church should have resisted or continue to resist. You guys follow me on that? When we boil down church, we can define it as a community of people who follow the teachings of a man sent by God to explain God and to clear the path to God. This is a very generalized statement of what the church is. The church began as this countercultural, illegal, underground movement that ended up with things that we honestly should have resisted. And now we live in a society where there are so many people who love Jesus, who really like Jesus, but don't like the church. A few years ago, I was in a, uh, taking a seminary class, and it was on the topic of evangelism. And uh, we, one of the books that we had to read was a book entitled, They Love Jesus But Not the Church. And the whole book talked about how the, the, our whole culture right now, there's a, there's, there's a movement that, that this whole idea, I love Jesus, I like Jesus, I like what he teaches, I just don't believe in organized religion. So I'm not going to attend that structure because I can do this on my, I can follow Jesus by myself. That's sort of the mentality, you see, because there are things that the church has done or has kept or has hold, held on to that we should have resisted over time. We call this last week, we talked about this, we call this the temple model, Right? We said, you know, in the temple model, the temple model says there are sacred places. You've got to go to a sacred place. You've got to go to a, a, an air, a, a building or a temple. And in that area, they, there is a sacred text that is read by a sacred man who is the only one who knows how to interpret that text. And they're followed by sincere, or we could also use the word superstitious followers. This is, when, you, when we think about religion, this is religion. i got to go to a spot to hear a text that only this person understands and follow it. And we talked about last week how Jesus came to bring something entirely new. The arrival of Jesus, signaled the end of the temple model, and the beginning of something, say it with me here, entirely new. You gotta say it louder than that. Say it with me. Entirely new. Jesus ended all this. He brought something brand new. He said, No longer do you have to go to a place or have a sacrifice to have a right relationship with, with God. Instead, I am the sacrifice. There's a new covenant, a new way to be right with God. 
There's a new command that will describe all, and a new ethic that will describe all my people. And you'll love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. If you love one, you just hold on to that. That's new. It canceled all the 634 laws that were in the Old Testament. And this new ethic, this new way of, of viewing life and walking through life. And he started a brand new movement. No longer a, a place to attend, but a people that carry his message. You know, the temple model, the temple model was built around a standard only the elite could meet. In other words, only a few people who could understand that sacred text would follow it, would, would, would preach it, would teach it, and they were the only ones that could do it. It was, it was built around a standard only the elite could meet, and Jesus came, and he said, okay, you got that standard. Well, I'm going to raise it up higher and level the playing field. You've heard it said, do not murder. I tell you, don't be angry at your brother. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. I tell you, don't even, when you look at a woman lustfully, you're committing adultery. I mean, he raised the standard so that everybody could be on the same playing field and say, hey, I need God. I can do this. I cannot do this without God. I need a relationship with God. You guys with me on this? The temple model required followers to come make peace with God. And Jesus, in other words, I, I'm bringing my sacrifice to make peace with God. I'm, I, am, I am doing these ten things in order to have peace with God. It was all about me and God and what I can do to get God's approval and God's attention. And Jesus comes in and he says, that's no more. Now, if you want to make peace with God, what's more important to God is you making peace with your brother. You making peace with your sister. In fact, if you're at the altar, in Matthew 5, he talks about this. If you're at the altar and you're right about to give your sacrifice to God to make peace right with God, and right then you remember you have some issue with a brother, Jesus says, leave that sacrifice there. Walk all the way outside of the temple. Go find that guy. Get resolved. And then you can come all the way back in and give your sacrifice. In other words, for Jesus, what was more important was the you beside you, the people around you, not so much the vertical, you and God. What was ha- exactly, what, exactly what Monica was sharing about here, what, it was ha- what happens around you defines what's going on between you and God. Jesus said this is brand new. The temple model was nation-specific. You had to go to a specific country or a specific place to worship a specific God and read their specific text And Jesus says, no, 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 no. What I have is for all nations. Go into all nations. It's no longer geography that holds, that that sets the boundaries. Jesus said, no, no, no. What I have is for everybody, everywhere. As Jesus brings this new way, Jewish believers, they could not handle it. They couldn't take it. They liked what Jesus said and was doing, but they couldn't let go of old ways and traditions. And so a lot of times they tempted to assimilate Jesus into the temple model. So I have my way of doing things. I have my Ten Commandments. I have 
the temple sacrifice. I've got, um, you know, all these things that I'm doing. Let me sprinkle some Jesus into that. And that makes me a Christian. They tried to blend it in, mix it in. Jesus himself knew this was impossible. Impossible. We're going to get into some scriptures here. So let's go to God in prayer and, and dive in. Let's pray. God, open our minds, open our hearts, help us to see what you want us to see, God. I'm so excited about uh, what you want to teach us today. I really pray that we leave here changed in our perspective and our thinking, that we would leave here carrying out your mission to your glory. Thank you for Mother's Day again. Thank you so much for all the women here uh, who have raised and are raising children. Uh, Father, I do uh, say a specific prayer for those who have lost moms, either this year or last year or years past. And this can be a tough day. I really want to pray for them and that you would be with them and comfort them during this time. Uh, this can be a tough time also for women who have t- attempted to have children but cannot uh, have children. And so I just really pray that you, again, where the ideal is lacking, that grace would abound and that you would comfort and provide encouragement uh, during this time. Help us uh, as a body of Christ to go the extra mile, to be encouraging, to be loving uh, to these sisters and brothers who are going through some of these uh, challenges. Father, thank you so much for your word and the hope that your word provides and the direction that your word provides. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus was traveling and preaching, and he meets this guy named Levi, and his other name is Matthew. And so he wrote the book of Matthew, the letter of Matthew. But anyway, Matthew was a tax collector, uh, hated by the community because he's collecting taxes, giving it to an, an oppressive government. And Jesus goes to him and talks to him and calls him to follow him. And, and Matthew is like, wow, okay, Jesus, this is awesome. In turn, Matthew says, okay, I'm going to follow you. Why don't you come over to my house? I'm going to have dinner. He's eating with all these other tax collectors and sinners, quote-unquote, prostitutes. And, I mean, everybody's there. And Jesus is eating with these guys. And the teachers of the law come along and they question him. Why are you eating with these people? And Jesus responds, well, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick, right? And so he says this. And then, and then right after that, they still, I mean, they're still trying to fight and so, or trying, trying to debate Jesus. And so in Luke chapter 5 and verse 33, it says, They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. They couldn't get it. They didn't see it. They're like, okay, our model, our, temp, our law says you've got to uh, fast certain times of the month or day or whatever. And so the disciples of John the Baptist are doing this. The Pharisees are doing this. But yours just keep on drinking and eating. They like to party. And Jesus answered, well, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they'll fast. I mean, Jesus is kind of funny. So he, they, they, they talk about this fasting thing, this law. And then Jesus starts talking about a wedding. Like, I'm the bridegroom. He's basically saying, I'm the bridegroom, and while I'm here, we are going to party. Now, when I'm gone, you're going to start fasting, and it's going to be painful, and you're not going to like it. But while I'm here, let's party, baby. That's Jesus. Now, can you imagine these Pharisees, these teachers of the law, they're completely taken aback by this because it's completely different to the way that they've been brought up and been practicing their religion. Jesus, in fact, tells him a parable. He says, no one, he continues the conversation, he says, no one 
No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they'll have, they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. You know, th- this makes sense, right? This is logical. No one takes a new piece of clothing, tears off a piece to fix the old garment. They won't match. And then he says, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The, one, the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for they say the old is better. Jesus knew that what he was talking about and what he was doing was going to mess things up for the Pharisees and most Jews as temple thinking was the norm of the day. And so he uses these two images to explain his new way. He says you you can't combine the two. This new kingdom, this new movement, this new thing that I'm doing, it's not a part of Judaism. It's completely new. It doesn't mix. You can't blend it in. You can't pour new wine into old wineskins. These wineskins were, by the time they're old, the, the, wine, the new wine will get in there and the fermentation will, will, will explode the thing. You can't do it. You need brand new wineskins to hold the new wine. But it's funny how Jesus understood people. Because at the end here, he says something here. No one, after drinking old wine, wants the new. Isn't that true? We know the older the wine, the better, right? No one wants the new wine after they drink the old wine because they say the old is better. And that's human nature. Well, I've always done it this way. But I've always thought it was this way. But I've always practiced this way. I've always read it this way. The old is better. The idea of changing, the idea of doing something brand new is foreign to somebody who's holding on to temple model thinking. You know, it's the same for us today. You know, church church has to be this way. The preacher has to talk this way. We have to sing the right songs. We have to dress this way. We've always done it that way. The old is better, but Jesus came to bring something entirely new. This tension between the old and the new was prevalent in first century Christianity. You know, Paul the Apostle, we talked about this last week a little bit. Paul the Apostle, he's a zealous Pharisee. He has memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. He's memorized all five, the first five books of the Bible. He's memorized it word by word. He, when he hears about Jesus and this new movement, he in fact is, is he's like, God, I'm on a mission. I'm going to save Judaism. And what does he do? He goes and he, he starts arresting Christians, putting them in the jail, approving of the murder of Christians. This is Paul. And on one of those journeys where he was delivering orders to a city to arrest Christians, he has a little conversation with Jesus. I mean, Jesus himself had to come back and share his faith with Paul to get his attention. And Paul becomes a Christian. He becomes a follower of Jesus. He starts these different assemblies, these different gatherings, these different communities of followers all over the known Mediterranean world. And, and we talked last week about his interaction with this church in Galatia. 
and how he was astonished that the church had been led astray from the pure gospel. He, he confronts one of the other pillars of the faith, Peter, the apostle Peter, because he knows, he knows at that moment that if there is a blending of the old with the new, Jesus would count for nothing. And so he puts his reputation on the line to preserve this pure gospel. So these Judaizers, these Jewish teachers, had come into Galatia and have said, listen, I love that you're following Jesus, but you need to be circumcised men. Can you imagine going to this church service? And these sacred men are coming who have a thorough knowledge of the law, and they're telling you, I know you're following Jesus, you've been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, that's awesome, but in order to be a real follower of Jesus, you need to be circumcised. I'd be like, what? What kind of church is this? You know what I mean? And yet this is what was happening. They were infiltrating the community of believers, and Paul is so upset. He's so disgusted by this that he goes on, he says some very extreme things and bold things, and we're going to read here in Galatians chapter 5. This is going to be our our little Bible study. We're going to walk kind of verse by verse here. Galatians chapter 5. Turn your Bible to Galatians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, get close to somebody who does. Um, Or you can just read along here. We're going to go kind of verse by verse uh, here. Galatians chapter 5. Paul is so heated about what's going on in Galatia. And he starts off and he says in verse 1, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Okay, let me stop right there real quick. If your version of Christianity is not making you feel free, you're doing it wrong. If your version or your experience in Christianity and you're and you're in your you're not experiencing or it's not described as freedom, it's probably because you have some temple model thinking Christianity going on and not Jesus' new way. When I read this one sentence, it shocks me in my heart. I've been a Christian for a long time. And I know how much I have tried to blend sort of like obedience and legalism with freedom and how it it can constrain. I've had people that I've helped that have left God, have turned their back on God because they feel like they're following a bunch of set rules and not freedom. And yet Paul says it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. He tells them to stand firm, to not be burdened by this yoke, this law, this the circumcision. You, you're a slave. Once you go there, you become a slave to it. And Christ came to set you free. You know, I love Jesus when he says, you know, come, come take my yoke because it's easy and it's light. It's free. There's a freedom when we're in Christ. And yet, so many times, why don't we feel free? It's because we hold on to some old stuff. We hold on to what we want to control. We, we hold on to this, this, this temple model thinking. And it prevents us from experiencing Jesus. Mark my words, he says. Exclamation point, you know. When the translators were looking at this, they were like, we've got to put an exclamation point. I mean, he, he probably wrote this in ca- all caps, caps lock. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you, 
that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Now, the issue here is Paul's not against circumcision. In fact, he was circumcised. He was a Jew. In fact, one of, his, one of his guys that he mentored, his disciples, he actually performed a circumcision on him. Think about that discipling time. How awkward would that have been? Hey, bro, come over. We're going to have detour real quick. Got that knife out there. We're going to circumcise you for detour. Can you imagine showing up for your kind of mentoring time in the Lord? So Paul, Paul was not against circumcision. But you see, circumcision, this law of circumcision represented God's way of separating the nation of Israel among all the other nations. And so it represented an old covenant. This is an old covenant law. Jesus came, as we talked about, to institute a new covenant. And so what he's telling them is like, listen, if you allow yourselves to be circumcised, you're, you're basically abandoning the new to embrace the old. You're going backwards. And Christ at that moment is of no value at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated then to obey the whole law. You can't blend it in. You can't mix it in. You can't have a little bit of Old Testament and a little bit of New Covenant. You can't do it. If you let yourself obey this one law, he says, you're not just being held to this one law, but to the whole law. You can't, you think you have, you have to be circumcised and you don't receive all the benefits of being separated by circumcision of the law because of that. You're wrong, he says. In fact, if you're circumcised, you've got to do the whole thing. You can't just pick and choose. Oh, I want to do this one, which is kind of what we do with Christianity sometimes. Oh, I want to do, I want to follow this one. I want to go to this church because they teach this and I don't like what they teach over here. I want, to, I want to read this verse and pull this verse and pull this verse and that becomes my doctrine instead of reading the whole Word of God, the, the New Testament, the New Covenant in Christ. He says you can't just pick and choose what you're going to obey if you go along with this, if you go along with this thinking and try to blend a bit of Jesus and a bit of Old Testament. It doesn't work that way. If you do this one thing, you got to, you're obligated to obey the whole thing. You, who are trying to be justified by the law, have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. You're justified by the law. You're trying to blend in a little bit of law with Jesus. You're alienated, actually, from Christ at that moment. You know, grace is the hallmark of Christianity. It's what separates Christianity from all other world religions. Grace. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. It's a gift. Once you go bargain mode, negotiating with God, well, if I do, God, I did this. Did you see that? God, I said this. Did you see that? What, did you see me say that? Did you see me do that? Well, will you now do this because I did this? Once you go that route, grace is not a gift anymore. It's like me going to Marina and saying, honey, I got you this awesome Bible for Mother's Day. It's a gift. And she says, well, let me give you 20 bucks for it. No, 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 no. It's it's my gift to you. 
no, no, come on, $10. No, 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 just take it, it's my gift. Okay, $5, all right, fine, 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 $5. Once she gives me $5 for this Bible, it's no longer a gift. It has killed the gift. There's no freedom in that gift. Now there's, there's, there's more of a, well, I got it with my own efforts. I bought it with my own money. This is, what the Jewish, this is what the Jewish Christians were doing. This is what Paul was saying. He's like, listen, if you're justified by this law, if you're trying to be justified by the law and saying, well, look what I'm doing, God. Look what I'm doing. Look what I'm doing. You've fallen away from grace. It is no longer, you are no longer in grace. Because now you're trying to earn it. Now you're trying to work for it. When you know God is trying to just give it to you. You've fallen away from grace. It's not a gift anymore. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. This law, whether you're, doing, whether you're getting circumcised or whether you're not getting circumcised, whether you're following the Ten Commandments or you're not following the Ten Commandments, at the end of the day, it has no value in Christ Jesus. And then Paul says something here that is so extreme that for the readers of this letter, it probably blew their minds. And it has so much relevance to you and I today. You know, if you're not a Christian or if you're not a churchgoer or if you're like just here because it's Mother's Day and your mom made you come and stuff like that, if that's you, it's probably, and, 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 you've probably re- and you resist the church, it's probably because you have not really seen Christians Live out what Paul's about to say. So much, again, so much of what is resistible about us as a church is the fact that we have resisted what Paul is right about to say here. You guys ready for it? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing, not a subpoint to the point, not point A, this is what you got to do in order to be right, not that, no, the only thing that counts and matters is your faith, your belief, expressing itself, working itself out through love. And the Jewish readers were reading this, and it's just, what? This is blasphemy. The only thing, all the law, the whole Old Testament, all of it, the only thing that counts is faith in expressing itself through love. You see, circumcision and all that it represents is all about how am I doing? God, are we good? Are we good? Is that okay? Is that too much? Did I I cross the line there? How are we doing? How are we doing? How are we doing? It's all vertical. Paul says, you know, listen, Jesus died for you. If somebody dies for you, that means they're for you. Stop worrying so much about this and start looking around you. In other words, if you're a Christian, God is for you. This is a huge thing for me. If you're a Christian, God is for you. He's got you. Stop worrying if you're in God or not. 
And start being more preoccupied with how you're treating other people. Look at the relationships around you. Look at the interactions around you. Stop being so consumed with, how am I doing? How am I doing? How am I doing? We live this paranoid Christian life, honestly. I've done this before so many times. I've lived a par- you know, was that, you know, did I cross the line? Is that too much sin? Was that, was, where's, where's sin? Sin's right here. I did maybe like right here. So that's not really sin, right, God? So we're, we're happy. We're good. You're good. You're good with me. And we get into this thing. I don't know if you've experienced this as a Christian. I've experienced this. I get into this thing. Am I doing too, it, you know, how much is too much? Is it good enough? Is it not good enough? You know, in my, um, in my line of work, success in our history, in our church culture, has been determined by how many people uh, get baptized, for example. And so, you know, years and years ago, um, you know, we'd say, oh, we had, you know, three or four baptisms here in, in, in this uh, last couple months or whatever. And some of the response I would get would be, only three or five, three or four. Only three? Only four? And so years and years of that implemented, kind of dug in me this, this thing that I'm just I'm not good enough. Anything that I do is not good enough. So, yeah, there, there's some of it as a leader that you're always like, we can always do better. We can always get better. We can always, as a leader, you want to be excellent. You want to get better. You want, yes. But then there's a very subtle inside my heart kind of spiritual battle that I go in. And it was because, I think, of because of some, 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 some ways of the world that entered into our church culture. And so I would feel like, why are we not rejoicing about the one who was converted, but you're upset because there was only one? I think God's pretty happy about the one. It's taken me years. I'm being honest. It's taken me years to reconcile this in my own leadership, in my own interactions, in my own faith, in my own relationship with God, and realize there's freedom in this. The only thing that counts is my faith being expressed through love. Am I loving people? Am I serving people? How many feet am I washing? Are we good? Are we good? No, we're good. God's like, Ruth, we're good. I like sent my son to die for you. We're good. But how are you doing with those other guys? How are you doing in your home with your wife, with your children? How are you doing with the people that I put in your life? That's what I'm going to be asking about. I may not be asking or taking tabs on how many quiet times you missed, but I will keep tabs on how much forgiveness you didn't give out. Or how many times you had an opportunity to serve, but you decided not to. Or how many times somebody was in need and you decided not to meet that need. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. If your whole whole approach to God is, I hope we're good, that's temple thinking. Paul says it's over. Paul says, you know, guys, you are running a good race. Who cut in on you? 
to keep you from obeying the truth. Who cut in on you? You you were doing so well. What happened? In verse 9 he says, A little yeast, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. A little temple thinking, a little legalism, a little bit of gracelessness will ruin and pollute the whole thing. It only takes a small dose of the wrong thing to corrupt the whole thing. Just a little bit of gracelessness, a little bit of legalism can pollute the whole thing. It's not a blend. We're not trying to mix things up. This isn't trying to balance the old and the new. No, 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 no. This is something entirely new. You know, Paul knew. Paul knew exactly where it would lead. Here's how mad Paul is about the whole situation. In verse 12, he says, As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. That's in the Bible. You should read the Bible. you find some crazy stuff in there. The Apostle Paul is telling a whole church, listen, as for those guys who came in or telling you to get circumcised, you know what I wish? I wish they'd go the whole way and just cut it all off. Emasculate themselves. Because you can't blend in a little bit. You can't mix it in. It will be like yeast for the whole batch of dough. It'll ruin the whole thing. Paul knew. Paul knew. Because he was at the forefront of Pharisaism and he was at the forefront of, of, of Jewish law and he was like, he describes himself as the Jew of Jews, the Pharisee of... I mean, he describes himself as this. Paul knew that if we had a little bit of temple thinking and a little bit of Jesus thinking and you mix it in, you can do circumcision and, and you're holding people to circumcision, but you're also holding them to this ethic and you, you do it all. He knew where it would lead. It would lead to leaders become, becoming self-righteous. Paul knew that leaders would become self-righteous. It's what happened in the temple model. Leaders can interpret the law that only they can keep. So the leader has the time, the, the energy to obey these certain laws, and so they can keep it, and now you can't keep it, so now that makes the leader better than you. But then he also knew that followers would become hypocrites. He knew followers would become hypocrites because in order to obey God's law, I'm going to dumb it down, dumb it down, dumb down the law so that it won't bother my conscience, so I'm only going to do the minimum. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about a high standard, that no one could keep that standard, but I'm going to dumb it down. Well, he didn't really mean this. I'm going to change it to affect my... And he becomes, you become a hypocrite. Paul knew that the texts would be manipulated. Well, you know, what it really says, no, what it really says, no, well, you need to do this. Well, Paul knew that. And he knew that people would be mistreated. Paul knew people would be mistreated. If we cling to old things, we will miss the main thing. Our faith expressing itself through love. He continues in verse 13. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. There's that word again. You're called to be free. 
And it's funny how this word sometimes we can be like, well, I want to be free to do whatever I want. That means I can do, as a Christian, that means I can do whatever I want. Yay. Well, I'm going to see how close to the line of sin I can get and not sin and still be fine with God. Yay. No. He says, don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Serve one another. How, do, how are you supposed to use this freedom? This incredible freedom. No guilt. Grace. I'm free of having to be like, how are we doing? How are we doing? I'm free of all that. Well, how do I use this freedom now? To send it up? To indulge the flesh? No, he says, no, no, no. You don't use your freedom for that. You use your freedom now to serve one another. Humbly in love. You know, it's funny. We can look at this and we can be like, well, it's kind of weak sauce. That's kind of fuzzy feeling like Christianity. Peace and love, you know, all this kind of stuff. And Paul's saying, you know, it's not this game that you're playing with God like, well, I sinned on Saturday night. I'm coming to church to confession on Sunday and then I'm going to sin on Monday. That's not what he's saying. And a lot of us, we take Christianity this way. We can say, okay, well, if that's the case, well, I'm going to use my freedom, and I'm going to go to the clubs and uh, do whatever I want to do on Friday night, Saturday night, come to, come to church on Sunday, whoo, cleanse, 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 go work on Monday, cuss it up to my boss, and cuss at my wife, and, you know, live, and then the next weekend's the same way. And do you see what I'm saying? Paul says, this is no game. This is not a game. You don't take this freedom and indulge your flesh. No, no, no. You use this freedom to serve one another for the entire, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is incredible. This is amazing when you think about it. Paul tells them the whole time you've had the secret. You Jewish agitators that I wish you would go to emasculate yourselves. You've had the secret the whole time. It's in the Old Testament. This is in the Old Testament. The secret to the whole Old Testament law is found in this one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. All 634 laws can be summed up with one main thing. Love your neighbor. This one main thing would inform the rest of the things. You know, this sounds, this sounds unstructured uncontrollable. We like to be controlled. We like structure. It sounds too easy. And this is what the Jewish believers felt, and that's why they wanted to stick to their temple ways and their temple thinking and and combine it. And, you know, with temple thinking, I can rate myself. I can rely on my own willpower to overcome. With Jesus model thinking, it takes the attention off of me and puts it on how I treat others. You see, Jesus... The Jesus model is less complicated, but it's far more demanding. Because now the test is, how do you treat other people? How do you interact with others around you? That's the test. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, if you got this right, if you and I got this right, it would change the way that you pray. Think about it. 
You wouldn't pray so much about your guilt and how we doing, how we doing, and how I don't please God anymore, and all this kind. Of, you wouldn't pray so much about that. You would pray more for others. Other people would be on your heart more. You would rely more on God's grace. And that grace would prompt you to do incredible things for God's glory. You would pray differently. You know, if you, if you got this right, if we got this right, you'd see sin in a completely different way. What upsets God about your sin is that your sin affects other people. You know, sexual sin, having sexual sex outside of the covenant of marriage, it's, the issue is not necessarily a breaking of a covenant between you and God, although that is there. It's even more so that God's looking at it and he's saying, you're damaging my daughter. You're damaging my son. You are messing up each other. But you say, well, it's consensual. You know, we're, we're, we're in love. We're, we're together. God says, no, 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 that's not the issue. The issue is all the scars that you're going to have in your marriage after this. The issue is all the mistrust that's going to be there. The issue is how you treated one another. You'd see sin totally different. You'd see gossip and anger all about how you treat other people. Not about doing things right for God, but about doing things right because... You're living out what he wants you to live out. Love your neighbor. You know, if you got this right, your religious experience will be, char- will be characterized more by freedom than anything else. If you got this thing right, love one another, you'd be characterized by freedom. Your view of generosity would be completely different. Not so much about getting God's approval, but more about taking care of other people. You know, we have missions contribution coming up in June. June 5th is help support churches, Mexico and Central America. And a lot of times when you get the missions contribution, okay, here we go again, here we go again, here we go again. The issue of missions contribution, it's not, it's not, it's, it's about taking care of other people. It's about loving other people. If you understood and lived out faith expressing itself through love, missions becomes a privilege, a joy. Not a task. Church attendance starts becoming more about other people and helping other people more than about you and if your needs are getting met. Imagine how different our communities would be if Christians decided to live this way and were defined more by Jesus' ethic of loving your neighbor more than adhering to a set of rules. Imagine how many more people would want to join a church if the church was known for this. This week, I want you to do this. In every interaction, in every conversation, or even temptation, instead of asking what would Jesus do, ask, what does love require of me? Self-sacrificing love, what does it require of me? But it's legal. It's illegal. It's not illegal. It's what does love require of me? But it's consensual. We love one another. We fell into that sin. It wasn't like planned. What does love require of me?
We just don't get along. We're too different. This small group, I don't know. I don't feel it. I'm not. What does love require of me? Well, I hope somebody talks to her about that because she's burning some bridges. She's kind of crazy. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, you know, you talk, what does love require of you? This is not Judaism 2.0. You can't mix it in. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. There's something that prevents us from doing this. And we're going to talk about it next week. Let's stand together. We're going to sing one song and we'll be dismissed. Have a great Mother's Day. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Greater Long Beach Podcast. For more information about our church, please visit greaterlongbeachchurch.com.